Always the underdog team. Uh, and well, a team full of underdogs. Hey, podcast listener. You're listening to the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast. The weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around. Sit down and listen in, because we're about to begin. Yo-ho! Welcome to episode 33 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only semi-pro cyclists race for themselves and not for money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who believes that they are the underdogs. Hey there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist. And news straight off the bat this week, Cadell has come out and confirmed that he will be the tour leader for BMC. Was it in any doubt? I don't think it was. The only doubt that BMC would have is that TJ is hungry. TJ is hungry. He has the desire and the self-belief to be there. I say next year is when it's going to start for TJ, and this year is going to be make or break for Cadell. Also, do you think Ryder will be there this year? He's gone out and said that the Giro is his focus this year. The whole team is moving to win the Giro again this year. But does he have what it takes to win the Tour one day? I'm not saying this year, but any year. I personally don't think he's got what it takes. It has been admitted that he is not too good on the time trials. He's not always the best hill climber. He just likes a gritty, dirty, hard race. And I'm not sure if the Tour always will produce that. Only time can tell... But for me, my money is never going to be on the man. Also this week, the World Track Champs wrapped up. I have to be honest and say that it just passed me by and I let it. I knew it was there. I did let some bits of news creep in. But for me, it seems like it's lost some of its magic. The only time I really watch track now is at the Olympics. And I think this is because there's no epic stories or rivalries Yeah, there is some nice surprises. So Martin Irvine was a nice surprise and you couldn't say fairy tale, but it was a pretty cool way to break through and change up the dominance that GB Australia, whoever else has had on track cycling. But nothing else really piques my interest. And I can't put a finger on it. Is it because it's lacking the character of 15 years ago? I really am interested in what you think, whether you follow track cycling, and overall, do you think track cycling is just dead? And no, it's not because I'm an Australian, and GB are continuing to dominate. The nuts and bolts this week, I spent some time digging around this week, moving beyond Joe Friel and his take on linear periodization that he brought to the masses through his training Bible books, fought my way through understanding linear, block, and reverse periodization, and I have a mini breakdown of what I found on those methods in the show notes, but the show is not about them, because I was also introduced this week to another perspective on training, that of Jack Daniels, through his book, Daniels Running Method. It's a straightforward read. It's got lots of relevant information that come across to bike training, even though it is a running book. I would never have come across this book or the ideas within it without other person that actually introduced it to me, and that person is Adam Zimmerman of Zimmerman Training. He's a former runner turned cyclist and he's a cycling coach now as well. 
I got Adam on the show this week to discuss his take on periodization and the influence his ex-coach Daniels had on his coaching style. Adam, welcome to the show and thank you very much for being here. Thanks for having me. Today I want to talk about your approach to coaching athletes and especially in relation to periodization. I know you come from a running background, so I'm interested in how this works with road cycling and training. A big part of putting together a season is breaking it down into different phases, and we know this is periodization. What is your approach to periodization? Sure. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there who will take different types of information to structure their own definition of what periodization is. I've taken a collective approach from many different authors, many different coaches, many different athletes to try to make my own philosophy on what periodization is. I like to break it down into four steps. I call this the individual seasonal approach. That's my type of definition term to use um, periodization. My first step is what I like to call the development phase. And I use this as not only as a physically starting point, but I also use it as a confidence builder. We need to use mental preparation with the physical training in order to have a successful season or a successful year. And what I mean by that is it can be as as something as little as watching specific movies, self-talk, positive talk, talking with family, talking with um, loved ones, your wife, girlfriend, using these types of mental practices really help teach you, okay, I have people backing me in my life. This is what's really important. I'm able to do this. I'm able to start my training now. It's important that we get these type of, have self-reliance on our own mental preparation, but we need to get it from other people so that we can start our training. This is also a phase, step one, where we use cross training. And um, it's important to do different types of cross training for cycling to build our confidence, um, not only on the bike, but in our mind. And this can be running, swimming, any types of other endurance sports, skiing, or, or just anything you like in general. Again, like I said, this is really like the confidence building stage until we add on the physical part. Step two is what I like to call the uh, support stage. And this is really where we start doing our bread and butter workouts, our long intervals. You know, there's so many out there, those rudimentary kind of threshold type of workouts, 2 by 20 3 by 15 4 by 10 minutes, those type of things. And then we start building on our duration of long rides on the weekends, doing specific trainer rides, things like that. Step three is what I call the strength phase. And this is really where we continue the same duration. We don't drop the amount of hours we're doing per week. However, we start going up in intensity with the workouts. So instead of doing those 15, 20, 30-minute intervals, we start bringing it down to 15, 10, 5, and so forth. But our duration stays the same. And the reason is, is that we still need to build a specific amount of base and endurance during these phases and these steps. And then the last phase is step four. And this is where we really start getting into those fine-tuning things, working on our sprinting more, working on our speed work, getting ready for the race season. And this can be about a month, a month away from your actual first race of the season. And um, I think it's important to hold off on honing in on your form and your sprint and things like that until you've got the confidence and the endurance background to really work on those things. Because those are the fine-tuning elements that are required for getting on the podium or having a top 10 instead of just finishing in the middle of the pack. 
So how about a time frame for the entire season that you plan out? What is your ultimate amount of weeks that you would slot this into? Sure, that's a good question. And like I said before, I call this the individual seasonal approach. And that means that it's really geared towards what a person's specific goals are. For example, um, a crit racer might want to peak in early spring and then later in the season. Whereas a climber, they might have two or three races in the beginning of the season and then do nothing for a couple months. So there really isn't one specific general amount of time that I use for one person. However, if we wanted to use it, we could say that we do it in four-week phases. So it would be step one, four weeks, step two, four weeks, step three, and so on. Do you class this as a linear periodization? So you did say that during two and three, you try and maintain the amount of work that any athlete is doing. But are you building from one to two, maintaining three, and then reducing when you get to your step four? Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. So um, step one and step two are build phases. And then it is linear in, in that respect. But however, you need to drop off for a week and recover. So step one, step two, we build. We cover, then we draw back for a week back into step two, and then we go up to step three again. So it's kind of like those little stepping stones, if you could think of it in terms of visualization. However, there needs to be those specific rest periods incorporated into each step. I'm actually really interested about the athletes that have probably between 8 and 12 hours to do any type of training per week. Do a lot of your athletes fall into that time bracket? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say probably 85% of those athletes have between, I'd say about 8 to 13 or, or um, sometimes even 6 or 7 hours on a minimum, those amateur racers who travel a lot. And this is the challenge that coaches have, is that when you don't have um, a college kid or someone who's self-employed working for themselves and have all day to train, you really need to revise those schedules for those people so they can get the workouts in However, you need to also help them build the endurance and the base that they need for a successful season. So it really depends on the person. However, hypothetically, if a person has ten, only 10 hours a week to train, during those first two steps, those build periods, I might incorporate a little more longer rides and a few longer intervals and then have more rest days. And then as we go through the season and, they, and the days get longer and it stays light out more, then I might incorporate some more shorter intervals and get rid of those longer rides for them. But it really depends on the person. How do you feel about the other types of periodization that are kind of starting to crop up now in popular material? So block periodization, reverse periodization, well, they seem to me like they're really geared towards someone that does only have a limited amount of time to train because they're keeping intensity from the start. And then whether they're either building in volume once they get going into their season or they're simply just moving through each of the energy systems that they're training, and they're doing that till exhaustion. Have you considered using any of these styles in your training plans? Yeah, so I think obviously the way our evolution is changing, the way that we think about training, we do live in a society that breeds on instant gratification and, and wants things right away. And the funny thing, or, or even ironic thing about endurance sports is that there is no easy way. And this is something I kind of learned during my time in the military is that there needs to be structure and organization and accountability for what you do. And your results are going to show it. And that's what's so unique about endurance sports. So to answer your question, I think that I'm trying to use new approaches to help cater towards those um, people who work nine to five jobs or 70, even 70, 60, 70 hours a week to really try to help them reach their goals. However, no matter who I sit down with, as soon as I sit down with them, I let them know 
their realistic goals based on the amount of time they have to train and their lifestyle. If a certain person has three kids, they have a wife who might not support cycling as much as others, then we're limited on, on the goals that they can reach. However, if we have somebody who everybody's on board in terms of their family with them um, and their time is still limited, then they might be able to achieve their goals in a more expedited fashion. So in terms of using different training blocks and periodization and things like that, uh, I think it really just comes down to definition and what the actual athlete believes in. If you believe in your coach, then any type of definition they use for periodization is going to work. For example, Joe Friel, he tends to use a lot of different types of definitions in his periodization training. Um, he goes prep, base, build, peak, race, transition. I mean, to me, it's a little extensive. I don't think we need to use so many words to help somebody because it's good to kind of keep it simple, um, as you probably know the acronym KISS. Other people, for example, uh, use too little definitions. You need to find that right balance for the person so that they can understand it. Because remember, we're giving them a training program to go out there and train every day. It's not for our own personal things. So as a coach, you need to sit back and say, okay, how can I explain it to this person so they're going to understand it and they're going to go out there and train every day? So the same definitions don't work for everybody. It's interesting you bring up the point of definitions and especially how confusing they can be. In the case of Joe Friel, I read this week that he is also advocating block periodization as much as his original linear idea. If you go through the block periodization that he's recommending, I forget, there's a book that I'll link to, but if you go through it, there's actually eight phases in there. So it's even more complex than his original idea. We did speak last week, and one name that you brought up was Jack Daniels. Coming from a running background, I'm sure that most runners may come across his information. And I sat down on the weekend and read his running formula book, and I found it really good. It was quite straightforward. It was a good read, even though I am a cyclist, and I got a lot of wisdom from him. He seems like his training philosophy is quite simple, but behind it is a man that really understands how to approach everyone as an individual and get the most out of athletes. What experience do you have with him, and how has he actually influenced your training philosophies? Sure. That's really great that you got to read it. I'm really glad because I uh, I actually read it this weekend as well. It's been in my... It's been in my, um, on my bookshelf for a little while, and even though I've probably read it about four or five times in the last few years, um, I keep going back to it. And he actually has a revised copy out with a second edition you can check out. So Jack Daniels was a major influence in my endurance background, whether running or, or cycling. He's an incredible analytical person, and it's a major important aspect of how I coach people, why I want to coach people and how I understand things about the past, present, and future. So let me start with the past. I began running, uh, distance running in, in high school, and then um, was a walk-on in college. And uh, he, was, he was a coach, the cross-country and track coach for SUNY Cortland, an upstate New York state school that I went to, specifically the women's cross-country coach. And he led them to, I think, four or five national championships. However, he also took a hiatus in the 90s went to train a bunch of professional athletes around the world, and then he actually came back in the early 2000s when I, when I was in college. I had no idea who he was, and it was pretty incredible um, after I started reading about what he had done with, with so many different runners. When he came on board, it was very hard at first to get feedback from him. He uh, would sit on the stand on the track, and he had a stopwatch in his hand, and you'd run by and click, 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 and he'd be taking all the intervals of, and how fast everybody was running, 
But there wasn't that feedback right away. And then afterwards, after he um, kind of analyzed it in his mind about what each runner was doing, he'd come up to you and give you a little bit about what you could do differently. And that was kind of the first start of really what I wanted to understand about taking my running to the next level. In terms of coaching and things like that, Jack has been an influence because of his periodization. Um, I've changed it around a little bit because cycling is a different dynamic than running. However, um, if you were to pick up his book, you would see that Jack breaks it up into four different phases. The injury prevention phase, which is your first phase, the early quality phase, transition quality, and then final quality. And the only differences that I would do with these, for example, is number two, he uh, uses speed work early on. Whereas cycling, I believe that that needs to come on later on in, in the step in the phases. So that's probably the only thing that I would change in terms of what he does with runners compared to what I do with cyclists. Stepping outside of his periodization stuff, he has a couple of great ideas in the book. One of those was, what's the purpose of the training session? So thinking about every single training session that you're going out to do and what the purpose is behind that, it would be a pretty good coach that would be able to get this message across to the athlete for every single training session that they're going to do. Do you incorporate this into your training? And if you do, how do you do it? Yeah, that's a great question. It's funny I laughed when you said that because I usually don't. And the reason why is because I don't believe an athlete always needs to know exactly what they're doing. It's very important for them to go out and do the training that a coach provides so that they can believe in it. Um, if you're constantly trying to motivate the athlete, if you're constantly trying to explain every small detail to them, then they're going to become too analytical as, a, as an athlete. For certain workouts, I will definitely let them know, okay, this is why we're doing this, um, this is why you're doing jumps today or sprints today, things like that. However, um, for most of those workouts, I will give an explanation in the beginning of the week, but I won't go into too much detail unless they ask me a specific question. I leave the lines of communication open where I like the athlete to come to me and ask me the questions. So I'll provide some specific details and then have them come back to me afterwards and let me know how they did it. It's really kind of like you can give somebody all the textbook knowledge in the world, but if they don't use real life situations for it, then it doesn't mean anything. So what I mean is, let's say I told an athlete to go out and do two by 20 minutes with five minutes in between and then come back to me. Well, we can take their power file or their heart rate file, whatever type of data they're using, and then I can show them why they rode this hard, where they need to get to. And then I can explain the definitions of what threshold are, intervals are, and things like that. If I give them all the information, they go out there and they do it, their mind's going to be on too many different topics. So Jack has a great idea. For runners, it's important for them to go out and have a purpose for each workout. Running is very, very specified when you're doing intervals on a track. However, for cycling, it's sometimes good to take the opposite approach. And that's kind of how I feel about that. I've been one of those athletes where I've not wanted to know what I'm doing. You know, like other than the exact specifics of the workout, I don't want to know where it fits in. I understand your point there, not to overwhelm someone with the numbers and the data when all you're trying to do is elicit a response. And that response sometimes is that mentally draining enough just to do it, that focusing on other things is too much. But another part that I got from the book itself is that Daniel's advocates a lot of rest. So he doesn't necessarily believe in the technology that's sort of developed to take people close to the edge and then work with that, you know, like the TSS and anything like that. He would probably err on the side of caution and tell someone to take more rest than not, factoring in other things such as 
mental freshness and any other elements that may be affecting someone's top performance. I know that when we spoke before that you talked about getting an athlete to understand how they feel when they're just beginning with you, understand their body in relation to training, understanding how their RPE relates to their heart rate or power data. How do you go about that process of starting to teach someone? Sure. So when I first start working with somebody, I give them an understanding of what RPE means, rate of perceived exertion. I Even if they come to me with a parameter or a heart rate monitor, I might tell them to just stick it in their jersey. I'll still record the data so that I, we can look back on it and things like that. But for the first few weeks, I have the athlete go out there and just ride, obviously for specific duration. If they have a, a small cycling computer that gives them time and things like that, that's fine. But I really tell them and make sure that they don't harp too much on looking at the numbers and and things like that. The athlete needs to understand their body and needs to understand their own internal zones before using those external numerical value to incorporate into their training. Okay. So in terms of RPE, um, I really think it's important for an athlete to take the knowledge from what I give them in the beginning. And that's just, you know, understanding base training, understanding these small intervals that they have to do in the beginning to help them later in the season and things like that. How does this carry across for recovery? What do you recommend athletes do in regards to recovery and and noticing if they're starting to overreach or push themselves too hard? Sure. Well, going back to Jack Daniels and and his his regard to recovery and, and how he he really likes to give an athlete more time if they need it. Um, I think there's a big difference there between cycling and running recovery. Running recovery is very different because for most runners, if you run too many miles, you're probably going to get injured or have some type of tweak. Whereas cycling, you can pretty much, unless you crash, you can ride for hours and hours every single day. I think there's a really big separation there uh, in terms of understanding the recovery time for running and the recovery time for cycling. The greatest thing that I've learned is I've come from both. I've burnt completely overreached, completely burnt out in running and understand what it takes for a runner to recover properly. However, I've also done the same exact thing with, with cycling. Rode way too many hours to really kind of – and I did, didn't do it on purpose at the time. I just wanted to ride a lot and I thought that was the best thing to do. So in terms of how I, what I believe in, in recovery and what an athlete should have Um, It really obviously comes down to depends on the person. For cycling, I believe that there should be at least one to two rest days per week, even during those massive amount of base mile months. However, for for a runner, and like Jack Daniels says, he also um, believes in more recovery for them. And I think that's important. I think we can take less recovery on the bike and we need more recovery in running. However, the two kind of go hand in hand as well because – if you overreach and overstep your boundaries in any one of them, something's going to have to sacrifice your power, your heart rate, your sleep, those types of things. How do you actually monitor this in your athletes if you're not looking at them face-to-face every day? The majority of my athletes use Training Peaks, trainingpeaks.com. I consider it more of a, a moderation or a moderator between athlete and coach. It's really, um, I can see what they're putting on there in terms of their comments and things like that. And um, that's fine. I like that. Um, however, I also use email. The way I, I always send emails out to every single one of my clients during the week. Again, I don't limit the amount of communication I have with my clients. It's 
24-7, I'm there for them whenever they need me. This really helps me monitor them more in terms of recovery. And the reason is, is because I'm in contact with them all the time, if they like it or not. Some athletes won't contact me as much, or they'll write me a few sentences, and then others will give me a huge paragraph on how their workout went. However, um, I think for any coach out there, if you are creating a sound program for someone and you have good communication with them, then having them burn out or um, having them recover shouldn't, shouldn't be an issue because you're already implementing it. Great. Well, that was my final question, Adam. Thank you very much for introducing Jack Daniels to my world and to semi-pro cycling. I think he has a lot to offer cycling and coaches as well. His book is full of great little nuggets of wisdom that I know are going to help me. So I recommend people check it out as well. I'll link to it in the show notes. But as far as where can people get a hold of you, um, what is the best place for people to find you? Sure. The best place people to find me is on my website, ZimmermanTraining.com. That's Z-I-M-M-E-R-M-A-N, the word training.com. They can also check out Volo Cycling, where I'm the team director of uh, here in Colorado. That's a V-O-L-O cycling team. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Great. Thank you. Alrighty then, moving along to the tech, hacks, and product section and this week, I want to talk about Gerard Ruman. He's released a new project, and if you don't know who Gerard is, he's one half of Cervelo. Well, he was one half until last year when he sold it. But now, amongst other bike-related projects, including a mountain bike company called Open, which you can find all about on his blog or his Twitter, and one thing that's really interesting about Gerard is that what struck me straight away is his blunt and provoking thoughts that he just puts out whenever there's any interesting issues that crop up in cycling or just in general about different areas of cycling. He's got great opinions and I enjoy reading him and that's why it's super exciting for me to talk about his new project which is a free cycling mag called 2R. It's only available on the iPad from now. It's getting a little bit of hate from that. It's not getting hate from me because I have an iPad, luckily. But I've got to say that the magazine itself is the absolute business. And it's such a killer move because it pulls together a really fantastic cast of characters. It's got the high-quality stalwarts of the unspoken, unknown, and hidden in the world of pro cycling. We're talking people like the Inner Ring and Paul Kimmage, just to name a couple of them. Also, Gerard himself. I'll put the details up of where you can actually download the app to get the free magazine. It's stellar. It is really beautifully put together as far as the pictures and the solid long-form content, which is stuff that you just don't get in media publications these days. So I'll pop the link in there, toarmag.com, and you can also check out his blog at gerard.cc, and I highly recommend you do. All right, so that quote from the top of the show, it is Mr. Johnny Vorders talking about Garmin, of course, but who is the mystery rider. We're always the underdog team, uh, and well, a team full of underdogs. So, um, but this year, I think we've got another surprise for the Tour de France, and, and quite frankly, I think it's with a guy who, you know, eventually has the physiological and the psychological uh, qualities to to be on the final steps in Paris. I don't know if it'll be in 2013, but um, one day I'm. I'm confident he'll be on the podium at the Tour de France. My money is on Andrew Talansky. 
He is an up-and-coming superstar, another American, just like TJ, popping out. He's only 24. He's got a lot of time to develop. Last year, he was seventh in the world to who knows what he can do with the backing of his team this year. I talked about Ryder a little bit at the start of the show, and we'll see what role that Ryder actually plays in getting Talansky over the line in the tour this year. Roles could be reversed. I'm not sure if he's riding the Giro, but it will be interesting to follow this guy as well. It seems like Americans are crawling their way back into the cycling world and starting to take over again. And the next generation is going to be a very, very interesting one to watch. But for me, that's it this week. So till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. (laughs) 